I, uh, I want to be better. And I don't think this is a, a unique desire. I'm guessing we all want to be better uh, at the things that we choose to do. If you, if you give it uh, some thought, chances are you want to be better as well. Now, in, in one sense, I'm talking about being better at specific endeavors. Uh, for example, my youngest son, Sam, and I started training this week for a, a 5K. Uh, we picked one to run just before Christmas to keep ourselves fit during the craziness of the holidays. We're planning on running a Charlie Brown Christmas 5K. And no, this is not just uh, a shameless excuse for me to show another Christmas image before Halloween. We really are going to run this one. And we picked uh, an eight-week training plan to build up the miles between now and the race. Um, Christmas Eve is just eight short weeks from today, just so you're aware. Now, I've been a runner almost all of my life since I was a little younger than he is now. Um, I've had good running shoes and running gear in my closet all of the past 40 years, but it's been a while since I've trained for a race. And so I was a little sore this week after Sam and I did our, our first couple of training runs. Thank God for naproxen sodium, that's what I'm saying. Um, bottom line, I want to be better in mid-December uh, than I was when we started training this week. And I think that we all want to be better at the various endeavors that we choose for ourselves, whatever uh, those may be. Maybe it's golf for you or pickleball or some other sport. Um, maybe it's playing an instrument or uh, mastering a craft of some kind. Maybe it's baking or, or grilling. Maybe it's uh, some skill that we need for our profession or something um, new that we need to learn in order to spend time with our kids or grandkids. I think we all want to be better in the various endeavors that we choose for ourselves. And so, so we work at it, right? To be better, we put in the time, we do the planning, uh, we put in the effort. One of the great joys of life, in my opinion, is bettering ourselves at the endeavors that we love. But uh, I also just want to be better in general. <laughs> Existentially speaking, I want to be a better human being. I, and I think this is generally true for all of us as well. As Christians, we believe that being a better human being is directly connected with our faith because being a follower of Jesus makes us better than we otherwise would or could be. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul uh, talks about what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. Um, he says that when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us in a new way. And our job, this is the Methodist interpretation, our job is to use our free will to, to choose to follow the Spirit's lead. And when we do that, we get, we get better than we otherwise would be. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When I say that I want to be better. What I mean is that um, I want my life to bear witness to the fruit of the Spirit. I pray for these things every day in my, in my personal devotion time. Um, for, for example, I don't know if you watched the baseball game last night. Um, <laughs> uh, the umpire missed 12 calls. <laughs> 10 of those went against the Rangers. And it probably wouldn't have mattered, but it did not make me very loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, <laughs> kind, right? The more my life is filled with these things, uh, the better I am, and it's a, it's a daily thing. My faith tells me that following Jesus makes me more like this, or at least conscious of the fact that I'm falling short 
sometimes because the Christian life is the transformed life. And that's our subject for today. So this is the third and final week of our stewardship sermon series reflecting on our mission statement at Christ United Methodist Church. Uh, We've been talking about the spiritual discipline of giving through the lens of our mission because ultimately our mission as a community of faith is made possible by the generosity of our members. And so uh, in week one, we talked about loving God. Last week, we talked about serving others. Um, This week, we're talking about transforming lives. And our text for today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's one of my very favorite books of the Bible. Um, We're going to read Philippians 2. I'm going to read the first 11 verses now, and we'll come back and read a, a couple more later. So listen, friends, for the Word of God, as it is proclaimed by God's servant, the Apostle Paul. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy. Make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Look, each of you, not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in the United Methodist Church, if you are seeking ordination as a clergy person, you go through um, a very rigorous credentialing process. Uh, As my district superintendent said when I started the process a long, long time ago, they don't call us Methodists for nothing. Uh, In my case, I was still working full-time in corporate America for the first few years of my process, so it took me nine years to complete the process from start to finish. The process of ordination uh, includes earning a Master of Divinity degree, which was 84 hours when I took it, when I did it. Um, It's a bit shorter now, but not much. It includes having your um, credit and financial health reviewed, and it includes undergoing a psychological evaluation. It includes writing a Bible study, uh, doing what's called a making disciples project, preaching multiple sermons and having them recorded and reviewed in front of a bunch of people. That's a lot of fun. Then writing 30 pages about various aspects of our theology and practice, which you then interview with with a group of 45 people to talk about what you've written. After seminary, there's this step called um, commissioning, which is when you've earned the title of reverend and you're still not done. Then you enter a a residency. It's two years now. It was three years when I did it. Um, That's where the church measures your effectiveness. And then after all of that, there's still one more step, (laughs) one more set of paperwork, uh, one more set of sermons, one more set of interviews before you're finally ordained. As my district superintendent told me at the very beginning, they don't call us Methodists for nothing. Now, our own Kristen Steed, who's in the balcony, uh, will be interviewing with the Board of Ministry in January. If all goes as expected, she will be commissioned as a reverend in June, entering into residency here at Christ United Methodist Church. 
And the reason I'm telling you all this is that one of the required sermons for commissioning that Kristen's working on now, um, in order for those aspiring to be clergy to earn the title of reverend and enter residency is a sermon on our text for today. You have to turn in two sermons. One of them can be um, a a scripture text of your choice. Uh, The other has to be our passage for today. You have to know Philippians 2 and how to preach it, which tells you how essential we Methodists consider uh, this passage from Paul to be because it, it tells us a great deal about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and about what it means to be part of a community of faith. On our trip to Greece in April, we had the chance to visit Philippi. Um, The Christian community there was the first church that Paul established uh, on European soil. And it's a church that when you read the four chapters of the letter to the Philippians, he clearly and very dearly loved. It's just ruins now. Uh, Looks just like that. Actually, I took that picture. Um, But in the first century, Philippi was a bustling stop on one of the main roads of the Roman Empire. And Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is filled with advice about how to be better human beings. Just before our scripture passage for today, he says, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, (laughs) which is a very high bar. And specifically, um, he tells the Philippians, which means he also tells us today, uh, how we are to live faithfully as followers of Jesus in a world in which our values are often very different than the surrounding culture's values. Uh, He calls for unity in the church, telling us to be in full accord and of one mind. Specifically, he says that we should have the mind of Christ, turning away from selfishness and conceit, viewing each other as partners in ministry and fellow travelers in the faith. And then, um, and if you were reading this along in the Bible, you couldn't tell it on the screen, but there's a little section of prose, and then verses 6 to 11 are in, they look like poetry. And that's because it's something called, uh, the scholars call the Christ hymn. It was a, a piece of liturgy that was used in worship in those early days of the church, reminding the faithful uh, every week in church of a fundamental aspect of Christ's identity, uh, the humility. Um, that we as his followers are called to emulate. The reason that we require aspiring clergy to preach a sermon on this text is because it's so, so foundational to our understanding of the Christian life, which is elsewhere summarized by Paul in his listing of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To be a follower of Jesus is called to be better versions of ourselves, more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more faithful, more gentle, more self-control. And you may have noticed that I I skipped the sixth (laughs) fruit of the Spirit, which has been a theme for this series. Now, back when I was in residency, I was asked to attend something called the New Church Leadership Institute, which is um, a two-part, like two-week-long intensive discernment trying to identify people who are both equipped and called to start a new church. At one point, my wife Whitney and I um, were exploring the possibility of starting a new church, and the New Church Leadership Institute provided some, some excellent training, and it was actually at NCLI that I clarified my own theology of financial stewardship. And that's because um, starting new churches is a challenging and, and dicey proposition. Finances 
are always tight. <laughs> Giving is something that's emphasized from the very beginning. And one of our instructors said something that both challenged me and helped me to grow in this <clears throat> area of my own spirituality. Now, he was, is, um, kind of a brash personality. He's not from our area. We brought him in from someplace else. He's an he's a expert on starting new churches. And his style is not necessarily my style, but he was trying to challenge all of these preachers who were thinking about starting new churches. And he was talking about generosity, um, which is one of those fruits of the Spirit, an obvious example of selfless giving that, that uh, Paul's talking about in this passage from Philippians. And he said, look, uh, lots, lots of people are very, very faithful. But much of the time, the last thing to be converted is people's wallets. <laughs> and I was a little offended by that, frankly, um, because he'd stepped on my toes a little bit. But he wasn't wrong. I did need to get better in this area because the Christian life is the transformed life and that obviously includes generosity. All right, let's wrap up the text. This includes one of my very favorite verses of scripture, chapter two, verses 12 and 13. So therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what that means is a sense of awe. You don't have to be afraid of God, but we should be in awe of God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the verse. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That is an astonishing theological promise. It is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In church one day, uh, one Sunday, a, a pastor explained to his congregation that um, the, the bill to repair the roof was substantially higher than they had anticipated and, and the budget was not gonna be able to cover the cost. And so um, they'd be doing a special second collection that day to see if they could cover the cost of this repair. Now they wanted to make it fun-ish because you know, fundraising is not necessarily fun. So they decided to spice it up in a, in a very churchy way. He said, um, during this special second offering, whoever, whoever gives the most money uh, will be able to pick three hymns at the end of the service. And that doesn't sound like a big deal, but I'm not sure Ben would be on, on board with that, just randomly picking hymns, but that's what the promise was. And so they did the special second offering, and the biggest gift was um, a check for $5,000 from Betty Smith. And in fact, uh, the congregation had been so generous that the, the unexpected expense was fully covered, and of course the pastor was just delighted with that. And so, you know, he saw Betty sitting in the, the back of the sanctuary. He invited her forward at the end of the service. And she was, um, she was very quiet, uh, an older member of the congregation. And she got up and she made her way slowly down front. When she got down there, the pastor just was effusive about how much he appreciated and the church appreciated her generosity so they could make this repair on the roof. And, you know, true to his promise, he invited her to pick out three hymns. So she stood up tall and she... She started beaming, like smiling at this congregation that she loved so much and had been part of for so long. And then she pointed to three handsome men in the congregation and said, I'd like him and him and him.
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you for putting up with bad stewardship jokes every week of the series. It's the last of the bad stewardship jokes for this year. Maybe more next year. <laughs> As I've said a few times now and in a few different settings, um, stewardship season is, is not about raising the church's budget. It's not. That's a byproduct of stewardship season and an important one. Um, but that's not what this is all about. This is about each of us intentionally reflecting on our mission as a community of faith and intentionally reflecting on our own spiritual lives as we near the end of one year and look ahead to the next. Both as individuals and as a congregation, our mission is to love God, serve others, and transform lives. And while Christ United Methodist Church has so many transformational ministries for others, um, we know that transformation ultimately begins with us, each of us, our own lives. We all want to be better. Um, we're all called to be better than we otherwise would or could be. That's part of the challenge of following Jesus. And the standard for us as followers of Jesus is that list of traits that Paul gave us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And the good news of our faith is that our transformation is not solely dependent upon our own effort. It's actually not like running a 5K where we, you know, we have to pick the race and pick the training plan and then get out on the road day after day and week after week in order to cross the finish line. Running a race or getting better at any other endeavor that we love is 100% up to us. But the Christian life is not like that. The Christian life is it's a partnership. We grow together as a community of faith, and the Apostle Paul makes this wonderfully empowering and bold promise. God is at work in each of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is at work in each of us, enabling us to have the mind of Christ. That's what he's saying in Philippians 2. God is at work in each of us, empowering us in his words to be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind, which is a, a powerful word to conclude stewardship season. It's a powerful word uh, as we conclude our, our season of reflecting on our mission. It's a powerful word as each of us together in a community of faith pursues the transformed lives that are the hallmark of our spiritual journeys. There's a beautiful African proverb that says, uh, if you wanna go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. As we conclude this year's stewardship season, thanks be to God that we're all on this journey of transformation together. Amen.